0: From Daylight, I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Brandon Beiser. And this is Salonara Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gents by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today.
1: On today's episode, we review the 2022 MLB Wildcard Series. Welcome to the postseason and to another episode of Our Baseball. I'm Brandon Beiser and here with me, the creator of the show himself, Kazuki Akiba. We are back where it all began for the two of us in the postseason two years ago. This was the first time we were together after a wildcard round, be it the 2020 season had its differences in how the wildcard round was formatted, but there's the new wildcard round. We're here now, two years later. And we have four series to review. Now, disclaimer, we'll put this in the show description too. It is approximately 6.23 p.m. on the East Coast. So 3.23 on the West Coast. The Padres playing the Mets is going to start at 7.07 Eastern. As a game three deciding game, winner will take on the Dodgers. We do not know the result and will not know the result when we, can, when we finish this recording. However, the review of that, series so far, and then what we to expect when they go to play the Dodgers is kind of pretty much set. Obviously, the result is not, but what we will look at for that series will be pretty much the same. We have four series to review, like I said. To keep it tight and brief, hopefully, we will look at four important points, our vision of our classic cycle segment for each series. So, Kazuki, are you ready to get into the first of the four series?
0: Let's get started. Let's get started. Let's get this one out of the way. This is right. let's, the let's, T.N.F. We, game of right. The so we, ha-
1: we we had this the first time we did this a series that was pretty dull to watch. So thank you to Cleveland Guardians radio broadcaster Tom Hamilton. You made this more exciting than it possibly could be.
0: Tampa Bay Rays. Hold on, and one more thing to mention: if you listen on radio for all the wild card series, all the local regional broadcasters, the TV broad personalities. We're on radio for all those games, right?
1: So we'll bring we'll bring that up for specifically the Mariners, but the, the local broadcasts are bringing in multiple groups. So you may have a TV broadcaster come into the radio booth for these and the TV analysts. So we'll talk about that with the Mariners in particular because they did something very interesting with how they so- formatted uh, their broadcast, and also the Blue Jays probably do some little adjustments too for that series. But we're going to get there in a little bit. We'll start with Tampa Rays going to Cleveland playing the Guardians. A 2-1 game one and a 1-0, 15-inning game two. Uh, no offense to you, Kazuki, as a now employee of Amazon, Thursday night football this past week, Colts at Broncos was a slog to watch. Thank God for the rookie Alec Pierce. Make it somewhat interesting. This game, especially game two, felt like, oh my gosh. It wasn't, okay. So the only one difference was. The performances were great for the pitching. Pitching was amazing in the series. The offense was pretty bad. Pretty bad being unwatchable. Let's we'll start with the pitching. Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie came out for the Guardians, pitched incredible. Shane McClanahan, Tyler Glasnow. Tyler Glasnow, who was injured for like 85% of the season, comes out and pitches well. Shane McClanahan was a, is a Cy Young contender, uh, which is incredible. And then we go to the bullpen. And we know the bullpen of the Rays has its like spurts of greatness and and just bad moments, and it's solely ironic that you have to watch Corey Kluber give up the game-winning, series-clinching run in the second game to his former team, the team he won a Cy Young with. So that's, but the the pitcher of the bullpens for both teams that was. Mostly important was the Cleveland closer Emmanuel Class A. What a performance from him, one. But we think about like the Cleveland bullpen and we watched several Cleveland Guardians games just over the time. And we always talk about Karinczyk and his, and his hair, his mane of hair that he always rubs and Rocco Baldelli got into him during the season. But that bullpen, where you can go from starters like Bieber and McKenzie and then at the very end, you know you got a manual class A, and they held it together because the runs scored for Tampa were in the sixth inning, I believe, in Game One. So it was not a not in late a late inning blow. But so that's that's what really stood out at point, point one here is pitching was a masterclass. That's that's one for me. Uh, do you have what do you think about the pitching? Because like I said, these these two people are, these two staffs are pretty much some of the best in the in the biz right now
0: is it kind of sad that all the runs were scored by home runs this whole series like I think yeah, about that it, the is a sad. home run uh in the sixth inning against Shane Beaver and then two runs shot by Jay Ram uh, against Shane McClanahan in game one that was a, a deciding factor and then um obviously game two Corey Kluber giving up that oh and Oscar
1: Gonzalez run. just and the the picture was he hit it to someone who was nearly near a guy who was dressed as SpongeBob SquarePants and his walk-up song is the SpongeBob SquarePants theme song. Great irony. Love it. So that's the main point. We, we'll, we'll, and our second point is how low-scoring this game. Got, we're now in that point. The low-scoring affair of this game. We thought we get some more runs because these teams usually aren't home-run hitting teams. And they got all their runs off home runs. One. Jose Ramirez, obviously. What can, What can you not say about how good he is? And then Oscar Gonzalez is a little of an extra benefit because he's not like a person you would think of, you know, hit a, gonna hit home runs or let alone score the runs. And then Jose and then Siri scores the other run. Where was people like, you know, Rosarena, Rosa um, uh Austin Hedges, I thought would get a little more involved, like even like up and down the lineup, like um I mean,
0: can we say this? Uh, this was the first time we saw two players get a Platinum, gold and, uh, platinum Sombrero, so five strikeouts and five at-bats. So Andres Jimenez, uh, who was an all-star this year, had five strikes out, five strikeouts. Oh, yeah, and then
1: uh, the defense was pretty good, too. Uh, I'll say that the defense was pretty good on both sides. There were a couple of plays that were really close, and they went the way that they benefited to, to keep the game 0-0, especially in Game 2. But... As much as we thought the pitching was great, defense was good, the weird home runs is the one. Let's look at game two. Mike Shore, creator of Parks and Rec, The Good Place, lots of great shows, was keeping a running tally on Twitter of how bad the batting was in game two. Combined 11 for 94. So we're 11 hits in 94 were recorded at bats, eight walks, 39 strikeouts across 15 innings. Like I said, thank the sweet Baby Perry's ice cream commercials and Tom Hamilton and Rocket Mortgage ads, uh, anything you could imagine for keeping this game entertaining in that game. Because it was awful to watch, let alone listen to. Said, Tom Hamilton made it a little better. But, 15 innings, hit the home run, game over. That game, it was, that is almost, <laughs> that is below a 150 batting average. That is awful. And when 39 batters, 39 at-bats are strikeouts, yikes, it's not good. And I think this is why a lot of teams would beat up on these teams during the year, is when it was bad, it looked ugly. Like the Mariners had a had a pitch Played pretty well against the Guardians throughout the year. The Guardians are going to play the Yankees, and good luck. Uh, we'll go into that later in a bit, um, but you're going to have another round of you know AL East force coming at your door. Uh, but to end the to end this game, and I'll get your thoughts on it. Tampa just looked utterly deflated coming into the playoffs, and then leaving the playoffs. They were like scoring, I think they scored nine runs in their final seven games, something like that. Very low scoring. Uh, I think they over, again, we go back to the over analytics themselves. Maybe, I just think they just didn't get any bat on the ball at all.
0: Yeah, and they weren't healthy all year. I mean, they lost Brandon Lau, who was one of their biggest power bats. They
1: were were going with a random lineup every day, it seemed like at some point. Uh, But yeah, utterly deflating end to their season. Any anything else there before we move on to something a little more exciting?
0: Uh no, we're good. Let's move on okay, from this. So
1: yeah, we have we've, we've we've bypassed the series that was slightly unwatchable, more listenable. Phillies Cardinals. Game one. Hold on, can
0: I say this? Uh whoever has lived in a New York uh region, it is very odd to hear Michael K Paula a Phillies game.
1: Okay, so on the ESPN broadcast was Michael K. A-Rod was the was the ESPN crew on this game. Uh, so, ooh, that felt weird. Uh, Phillies versus Cardinals in St. Louis. Game one, the only thing you can talk about is what the bleep happened in the ninth inning. It was like someone took a trap door and just pulled it out, and every Cardinals player just fell right through it because you had... Home run, and then you just had. Well, go through it. So, Yepes hits the two run homer in the eighth to give the Cardinals the 2 0. They got the lead. So, we have a lead, and then we have this round that was round and round and round we go, ninth inning with Gene Segura getting the take the, take the, the hit to take the lead. I and mean, they had defense falling apart, a bullpen that was relatively reliable falling apart. And Zach Wheeler kept the game close when he came in. So game one was very lopsided. It was everything happened in the last two innings. It was just like, it just keep it level, keep it level. And then just, it just, like I said, a trap door was like a rug, literally the rug, the old cliche, the rug was pulled out from under them and just gone. What else do you think about Game One? I just thought I—I was—I couldn't believe the comeback. Like I was watching those comments about it, I was like, "What's going on? Why is on Arenado? What? No one—Nolan Arenado—and off we go.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a pitching duel. Um, like the Cleveland game was uh, Quintana and Wheeler. They shut it down for six straight innings, and they went to the bullpen. And you know, Billy's offense looked pretty dead, honestly, until the ninth inning and. Once the ninth inning came in, it seems like Ryan Helsley, the Cardinals closer, who's been lights out all season long, um, just uh, didn't have anything. And he walked a lot of people, gave up a lot of singles. And uh, next thing, you know, those bases loaded and sack fly comes. And then another walk and then a two-run single by Segura. And then back-to-back singles that kind of went on the line where it started off the inning with a Reese Hoskins strikeout. And ending ending the inning was a Reese Hoskins strikeout. So there were a lot of actions in between. So they
1: uh, got bats. So Reese Hoskins bookended a six-run inning. Yeah, he recorded two of the three outs in a six-run comeback ninth inning. That's pretty. Who the Phillies were? I think the Phillies were built for this. But now they have uh, they have healthy people. They got Bryce Harper back. You have a Gene Segura who's playing well. And
0: Kyle Schwarber, who will occasionally hit either suck fly or home runs. Right,
1: Kyle Schwarber is like the is like the like the demon version of Julio Rodriguez. It's like he'll come into the game, he'll start the game with a home run, and then do nothing. And Julio Rodriguez will come in the game, he thinks he hit a home run, and he'll start just start stealing bases and running around and running around. But Kyle Schwarber, we go to we go to game two. uh, Um, Aaron Nola, did pretty good pretty good Bryce Harper welcome back Bryce Harper solo home run first time as a Philly in the playoffs sixth career home run it's the sixth career postseason home run in all 80 at bats. because provided the stat in our in our little stat sheet here that's very impressive considering that that's a pretty good home run rate for a guy who's only been in only a few series so and now, now they're going to go. We know, we know the Phillies are going to play the Braves next. And we'll get into that second, but oh boy, the Bryce Harper has not been, played many games against the Braves this year, so that's going to be an interesting little wrinkle. Alec Bohm. Alec Bohm had a defensive stellar defensive play in this game, which I will say in this type of series. So this series, we'll get into the second game, second series better. This matters. Hot corner. In this series matters because of all the hitters you're going to have that are righties on both teams. Like you think of like Austin Riley in the next series, but you got like Narronato and, and and alike, and, and you got to have someone to play defense well in that corner. Alec Bohm is not a household name. So make a good play. That means a lot. Um, so that's important. Sir Anthony Dominguez. What can you tell me about Sir Anthony Dominguez?
0: Well, he had a Tommy John. He's been the uh, part of the Phillies since uh, 2017. And uh, he's been their lights out bullpen guy. Had a Tommy John. Came back and got relegated into more of a fireman role. And he shut down two of their uh, Cardinals MVP bats. Uh, Goldie and I Arenado think in the most important, important inning. Um, he, first and second uh, was uh, one out and struck him out back to back.
1: Able to shut down those two batters. I think that matters a lot in this series in particular. And then I think our our closing thought on on this one to really get to one. So we got game one. We had game two. Does Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, are they still candidates for nationally MVP after this game, you think?
0: I mean, uh, no doubt they're still in the running. Most likely, it'll be Goldie, but their last uh, thirty games uh, coming into the playoffs has been pretty rough for them. They haven't hitting been hitting well. Like Goldie's been hitting two twenty nine, was a three twenty eight on base, and his slugging is at three fifty two. And Arenado's hitting two twenty one and a three oh two on base. And they were the two at bat two bats there who were carrying that team all the way was Pujols, and it seems like the second half has been carried by uh, old man. Um,
1: Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols obviously getting 700 and more home runs, and that gives us the final point, the fourth point of this game. It is the end of one of the most decorated eras in St. Louis Cardinals baseball history. Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, Adam Wainwright, I believe are all retiring unless something changes. Albert Pujols is enough things to talk about. 700 home runs, Majority of them being with St. Louis, obviously, hit it, breaking the 700 mark with St. Louis is very special. But I will go back to the thing that you and I have talked about considerably. It is the end of an era of two people who stuck out their entire career together. Adam Wainwright and Yadir Molina were a battery for a decade plus years on the same team. I am Hard-pressed to think of a, a, a pair that has done that recently. Like, I can think of, like, Jorge Posada and, and like, Andy Pettit type. Like, like, are we getting, like, are we going that far back? Like, that is going pretty far. But you don't see that very often. They are incredible athletes. I hope one, if not both, are going to end up in Cooperstown, especially Yadier Molina. Man, redefined catching as, like, a, cons- a matter of consistency, a matter of leadership. That's that's what I think about when these two players are retiring, in particular. And what what say you on, on the on the end of that trio?
0: I mean, that's what brought the traditions and us baseball fans in the two thousands. All three of them coming into the games and uh, really inspiring the generation, this generation who's uh, watching right now. And uh, you know, they're just leaving it on a high note. Um, unfortunately, not getting the ring, but making the playoffs and contributing quite a bit to the Cardinals organization.
1: There was always that David Freeze moment. Wasn't part of M-Grant, but that David Fries moment was is pretty special for them. All right. We've gone through the first two series. So you know what's coming up next, our friends. You know what's coming up next. Coming after the break, we have more on the 2022 MLB Wildcard Series. Welcome back talking about the wildcard series. We've gone in order of the f- games in which they first started playing, which means game, the third game that started on Friday, October 7th at 4.07 p.m. in the great province of Ontario. It's the Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays. That's right. We held off. We contained our excitement for about a week. Friday night, September 30th, in the darker night, Hal Raleigh, the big dumper, absolutely unloaded a right-field bomb into the sec, into the back ends of T-Mobile Park, unleashing a sound that I probably haven't heard since maybe the Seahawks were in vogue at the, in that venue. In that so they go into Toronto, a team that has been a run-scoring machine. We know what's happened when they play throughout the year. It's been a run scoring machine. So we go to game one. They get the ball to Luis Castillo versus Alex Manoa. And what happens in game one? Well, Cal Raleigh does it again. A three-run home run, a two-run home run. Sorry, they scored three runs after the. They scored four runs after the first. Eugenio Suarez, a Eugenio Suarez double. So Cal Raleigh hits a home run, quiets the crowd in the first inning. Luis Castillo dominates game one. It was exactly what they paid all those people to do. It's like, we paid him to do this. We gave him a huge contract. Please keep us in the game. And he did. And the Mariners had no Jesse Winker, no Sam Haggerty. So their bench is diminished and they everyone played their role. A. Eugenio Suarez is coming off like he can barely play third it seems like, but he's playing third. And you played the game. They played exactly the game they wanted to play and they made the Blue Jays play the exact game they didn't want to play. Come from behind against an elite pitcher who's going who threw over 100 pitches again. And then we'll talk through the Mariners bullpen before, but the if he could win the Cy Young this year, I feel like he could, is Andres Munoz. The He throws, what, 100 plus almost every pitch. He comes in and they think he's going to like not keep going after Castillo. And he just cleans up the game. It's over. 4-0. That's right, I use a soccer reference. It's a Sunday. And it, the game's over. Sky Dome, Rogers Center, as they call it now, the air has been taken out. So game one, other than the the Mariners pitching, and like you said, that Cal Raleigh home run, A. Eugenio Suarez, like people were getting the job done. What else did you see from game one? Alex Manoa, I would say he didn't pitch poorly. He gave up four runs, but not. I'm not concerned. Kid's amazing.
0: Too much pressure in himself,
1: not in the tire. Right. So. When he hits Julio Rodriguez on the hand, I think that sent that was like we've seen the we've seen that pressure crack him a little bit. Because we know Alex Manoa is probably not far not far off from becoming a top five ten pitcher in the American League, at least. And it just didn't work out for him. There's like the catcher didn't call a bad game. It just didn't work out. And the batters obviously didn't didn't score runs. Like, they're a run scoring machine. They didn't do that. So anything else from Game 1 before we get to Game 2? Move on to Game 2. Game 2. So Game 2 is the exact opposite. Utter just chaos in run scoring. Robbie Ray gets booted early. Kevin Gosman is holding this game together just piece by piece by piece. And the Mariners are down huge. And then... Carlos Santana not not the not the singer though he did play very rhythmically in this game hits a home run and it be and it's just like the settling has begun because once Carlos Santana hits the home run the blue jays bullpen just starts going down 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 and the mariners bullpen is going it's just holding on by a thread get to like the eighth and get like a lead just Come on, just get in the, and then it's the twenty eighth, the twenty seventh anniversary of the double. Edgar Martinez's double, and we saw a great hit by J.P. Crawford. But the scariest way to score that double, Obiashet is going out, and George Springer is coming in, and they are not going. That ball is coming down fast, and I don't think you had a chance to even realize when you're watching it. Like I heard Dan Schulman's comments. When he's, as he's broadcasting on the radio, I'm listening to Rick Riz and Dave. So we'll and Dave we'll talk about the radio broadcast for this game because it's pretty in partic- pretty special for the Mariners. And Rick and Dave, our clients, go with Mike Blowers. And Rick doesn't know how to k- summarize what he just saw other than like, we got a double, and George Springer's on the field not moving. And that's what struck me is like I was very happy. All of a sudden, I realized, oh crap, George Springer is not moving. Because if you watch the collision, Boba knee goes front in, kneecap side up, right into George Springer's, I want to say head region, I couldn't tell if it hit his head or his shoulder, but it looked bad. It looked like a hit you saw in football. And obviously, J.P. Crawford gets a double, bases clearing, 9-9. But I didn't know how to, how to, how to, like... As emotionally taken that moment because like it's a great, it was going to probably be a hit, but it shouldn't have been a hit that looked that disastrously ugly from a like humane, a human standpoint, but we had to deal with it obviously. And so it's nine, nine. At that point, what do you think? I mean, we, the Mariners had just come back from being down six at least. And, and it wasn't like the the Blue Jays seven. The Blue Jays had added more runs. They got to nine runs. Mariners clawed back. They got 9-9. Nine, nine. So at that point, what do you think is going to happen?
0: Well, if, uh, you know, Blue Jays, I mean, I got to dissect the series a little bit. We could do that after this game. But um, after losing a seven-run lead, uh, one of the biggest collapse ever, I mean, the momentum is definitely on the Mariners' side. And I kind of, was confident at this point that something is going to happen leading to a Mariners win.
1: And we get another double by Adam Frazier. The guy who has been pretty much underperforming, underperforming compared to his all-star season in general. So, but, but he's batted from first to ninth, this entire, just going back and forth. He's played nearly every game. And I thought Dylan Moore could hit a grand slam when he came up. I honestly thought that was going to be the way that they did this. But Adam Frazier gets the double, takes the 10-9 lead. And who finishes the game? Andres Munoz, the original fireman. Well, Andres Munoz, he pitched a little bit. Did Seawall come in and close? Or did, so, or did they? Oh, no, George no, no. Kirby. George Kirby came in. That's right. So I got confused. So Andres Munoz comes in and pitches more than he thought he would. That's how Rick Riz, I apologize, Rick Riz called it this way. He thought, he was like, Andres has got to come out, right? And I thought, the way I was listening to the broadcast, I thought the game was pretty much over. George Kirby, who is not going to be a starter in this series, I don't think. I think Logan was probably the starter in game three if they went game three. As you can see, I was emotional the entire game watching. George Kirby finishes the game. The kid. So Matt Brash pitches early in this game to, like, hold the line. And then the, like, the dynamic duo counterpart of George Kirby closes it out. The game's over, and the Mariners win 10 9 in a raucous affair in, in 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 Toronto. I thought the Mariners would just make it, honestly. Uh, but we'll talk about them versus the Astros in a minute. But not only do they make it, they dominate. In, in when, when they had the shot, too. They took that, one, that, that Santana home run and wrote it and everything. We'll, we'll quick, I'll quickly talk about the broadcast for this game because this was special for Mariners fans, for us. As you know, this is a by, just by proxy a Mariners broadcast. The Seattle Mariners during the season have Mike Blowers as a TV analyst and a rotation between Dave Sims and Aaron Goldsmith. Rick Riz is primarily sticking to the radio. They brought everybody, To Toronto, so Aaron, Dave, Mike, and Rick. Game one, it was Aaron and Rick. Game two, was Dave and Rick. And why did that be special? Dave and Rick have been there for decades, together calling games. Mike Blowers played on the Mariners, I believe, in the early 2000s when they last, like you know, made the playoffs. Shannon Dreyer's been there for years. She's on the field. Gary Hill Jr. is a producer. Like It's the same bunch of people that have been there through the ups and the downs and they're calling the game. And for for us, quote unquote purists, we love TBS. We love that. Fox broadcast game, ESPN had the whole mantra. There is no way to listen to a Mariners game, this series, unless you turn on the radio or stream it online. It's the people that you grew up with. It's the people that you were, and it's just that means like on the Toronto side, Dan Schulman, who is their TV radio guy, is the national ESPN. We, like, he can't call the game in two countries. So it kind of was like a little bit of a robbery there. So that's a quick there, but let's quickly go through this series. How, what did, what did it, what, what did you see? What did it mean to you as like a new, you are a new Mariners fan in, in my lineage, but like we saw every acquired piece of talent other than Jesse Winker, who took a really nasty injury, it seemed like very late in the season, and obviously Sam Haggerty, show up and show out. As you can tell, I love Andres Grace Munoz. I've never appreciated that man enough. That, that and now I cannot stop watching him. It is an art to watch that man throw.
0: And uh, we got to remember, before we dive into it, uh, Munoz, France came from, they were not a headliner in a trade for Austinola in 2020. It was
1: Taylor Trammell, was the headliner. And Taylor Trammell was important throughout the end of the season because he held the line when you lost Haggerty and you lost, lost Julio and Haggerty and Winker. You're losing all these players. You need someone to fill in. And obviously, Kyle Lewis is injured and not able to play. Taylor Trammell was the headline piece that my league deal. And then you got Ty France, All Star, Andres Munoz. So they held the line. Toronto, Alejandro Kirk is a real real sight to watch because he was bad. I mean, he was a, not a great player, honestly, a couple of years ago. And he's an all-star, one of the best catchers in the American League. He did his, as much as he could. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette. I mean, George Springer. I mean, like you had every person trying to keep up with this team. And the fact that Matt the Mariners won by a score of 10 to 9 on a seven-run comeback. I don't think I ever seen it. It felt very much like 1995. Uh Edgar even tweeted about it. He's saying, like, this feels kind of a reminiscent. It was a good game. It was a great series. Uh I'm like the Blue Jays are obviously quite good. Their bullpen needs a lot of work.
0: That's what I was gonna get into. The bullpen management for Game Two was one of the worst, right? Um, you were up by seven at one point facing Carlos Santana with the bases loaded, and instead of leaving uh, Kevin Gossman, in, a bit you know he was close to 100 pitches. I get it, I right tend to pull a starter, but you brought in Meza, who's been solid, but against Carlos Santana that was not a perfect matchup. Santana was matching has been matching lefty better than righties, so. Not a good matchup there, and obviously once he hit that three-run home run, that was was in three or three, right? And then Jay's hit it back four, so it was it was in the line for the Mariners to come back. And uh, looking back at even last year was the Mariners. Um, you look at how tenacious this team is. They don't have all the stars like the other major teams do, except for Julio now to actually carry them back in the game. But the grit and relentlessness for them for them to even come back. And do it like you know. It was kind of expected. You saw the twenty twenty one team. I could see it in the twenty twenty two team really well.
1: Right. I mean. I mean. The captain. We call. We, we call him basically the captain. J P Crawford ties this game. That was impressive. I mean, it was just a bunch of random parts that this team has put together, and they're still they're riding along. And like I said, this is the, we're a Mariners bias podcast. We will we understand that. The Blue Jays are good. They'll probably be back again and we'll see how good they are because that was impressive to put up nine runs. Basically, they cut Robbie Ray short after three and a couple. Their former Cy Young winner, and they just oust him. So we'll see. We'll talk about, we're going to get into the next game because that happened again. So now we're going to San Diego, New York. Like I said, we've only seen two games. Game three is about to start in about 15 minutes when we're keeping track. Game one, Darvish... Scherzer, two guys who we know more from other teams than others. Max Scherzer gets absolutely rocked in game one. He gave up how many home runs? I believe the answer was, if it's four home runs, he gave up four home runs in a game. That's all. That's not Max Scherzer. Hugh Darvish pitched a pretty much a flawless game as he could. Josh Bell, Trent Grisham, Jurekson Profar, Manny Machado hit home runs. This was a quite a large margin of victory. It was seven runs. 7-1 seven, was the final. 7-2 was the final. So Friday night, I thought all hope was lost for the New York Mets. But then, game two, Saturday, in the, in the night. It's been pretty chilly here in New York. Jacob DeGrom kept the game really close for lots of innings. It went like, it was like two, it was three, two after the sixth. I was checking it. Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil really did their job. Now you wrote a comment, how Buck Walter made an important change this game. Can you go over what Buck Walter did?
0: So as uh, most baseball fans know, uh, Buck was the manager of the Orioles and he made a great mistake during the wild card game against Toronto Blue Jays um, where he kept his best pitcher of that uh, season Zach Britton who was a Cy Young contender was a .6 ERA in the bullpen in a tie game and brought in Ubado Jimenez a 5 ERA so this time around it seems like he learned his lesson and in a tight game he brought his best weapon out of the bullpen which is uh, Edwin Diaz
1: right they played the trumpets a little early came in Held the line, and then we have another somewhat large margin of victory game. Mets pull ahead late, get game two. Now we have game three tonight. Chris Bassett for the Mets, Joe Musgrove for San Diego. This is this is why these teams paid a boatload of money to a bunch of players. This is why. This is why they got out, the Padre one got Juan Soto. This is why they have, you know, gotten really PO'd at someone like Francisco Nando Tachi Jr. for not being a part of it because he should be there. He made a, where can I go that? But like, you pay a bunch of money a bunch of people to get them here. They, the Padres have been all over trades at Traded Line the last couple of years. Here you go. Can you do it? Joe Musgrove is a acquired player. Chris Bass is an acquired player. They, they picked him up in free agency for, uh, for the Mets. And what's going to happen tonight? We don't know. But the, the this is like exactly why these two teams were created the way they were for games like this. I don't think I have any other comment other than that. So we'll see what happens. First pitch is about to get done shortly, get on shortly. I said, our commentary about what's going to happen against the Dodgers is pretty much universal. But any last thoughts on this series before we move into what to look ahead for?
0: Uh, major note, we got to think about the offseason for the Mets gram you know this was his first uh, start as a met uh in a as a met pitcher in the playoff at in city field and this could be potentially his last if mets don't move on cuz he's going to opt out after
1: this season that's right so we have we have this the the stark reality that we are facing all right tuesday night tuesday afternoon we get the divisional round so we'll go ALNL, AL, Guardians, Yankees. It's the pitching of Cleveland versus a Yankees offense that has all that 62 pressure off. And it's just, it's just go for it. It's can they hit the ball and keep it going? Because when they slump, it looks bad and Cleveland's got the pitching, make them slump.
0: I'd argue the key to this series is um, it's basically Cleveland Guardians versus Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge. If right. those two don't hit, Yankees will not score any runs.
1: Right. I mean, you I, Rizzo is great. Rizzo will get can do his job, but you can't put all their, your focus on Rizzo and Donaldson to get your runs. Like in like a, like the young kids have been great on that team too, but you cannot put all the emphasis on them. So, can the two power bats really make it through? And whose bullpen is going to hold up better? Because these these teams both got good bullpens. So I think that's going to be the big big focus here. The second series. One of at least two divisional divisionals. So just like when Kazuki and I first started this podcast, we had divisional divisionals. We had divisional divisionals again. Seattle playing the rival of of the division this year, the Houston Astros. This series has been ugly for years. Houston kills them over and over and over again. I don't know what's going to happen. It could be ugly again. But the only thing that's worth talking about, because we are a Seattle Mariners podcast, the Mariners moose is the moose of all mooses. There will be a home playoff game in the city of Seattle in October. 21 years later. And to make it even better... The Mariners will have a playoff game. At the same time, there'll be a Kraken hockey game. So, at the same exact time, but in the era of un- unbelievable thoughts, the, the, from the time the Mariners last won a play-to-playoff game in Seattle till now, the Seattle Storm have won multiple championships. The Seattle Sounders have won multiple championships. The Seattle Seahawks have won a championship. The Seattle Kraken live. The, so- the Sonics have gone away. The OL Rain have like become a team and like contended for multiple championships in WSL. And the Mariners are going to play a playoff game at the same time as a professional hockey team in Seattle. It doesn't seem to compute with me, but that's what we're going to get. So the Electric Factory, T-Mobile Park will be rocking because you can obviously, obviously and I will be paying attention to that. Uh, so do not watch our Twitter accounts. Please don't. It's gonna be emotional roller coaster whatsoever. But Tuesday afternoon, we get the first game with this series. It's gonna be like I could be a bloodbath any which way. I think you're gonna go deep into bullpens. I think you're gonna to use tons of players because it's gonna be just Dusty Baker versus Scott Service. That's what this game is. So that that's really all I have there. Do you have anything to add on that one, other than getting emotional about it?
0: I mean, embrace the chaos. That's embrace the, the chaos.
1: They, they, they say it's refuse to lose, become embrace the chaos. All right. So I'm going to argue this is the most intriguing series of the divisional round. Philly plays Atlanta, a divisional rivalry, the second of divisional divisionals. And this is just, it's two teams who are built to push you to the brink. They split the last time they played together. Bryce Harper is now, I would say, fully back. I mean, he's been up and down. He's there. You're having Ranger Suarez, Zach Wheeler, and Aaron Nola go, scheduled. Max Freed is coming in. You have, and you have Charlie Morton. You got everybody for the Braves. Oh, right. You also have that entire lineup that's back. And Ronald Acuna Jr. is here this year, for God's sakes. It's a, this is a baseball purist series. Two teams that are going to show you everything they got. Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, Alex Bohm, JT Real Muto. I mean, you got everybody that you love to watch in baseball on that field. They're going to start in Truist Park, and they're going to get one game in Philadelphia at least. But this game is just going to be, I think this game could be hopefully the opposite of Tampa Bay, Cleveland. Two teams that are built to like clash all the time. Don't give me zeros for like six, seven innings. Give me like a 5-4 game or a 6-5 game or a 4-3 game. Don't over manipulate your bullpens. Like this is what I see in this game. It's the first time still be a postseason game at Citizens Bank Park since the 2011 NLDS. So we've been 11 years and the bank will be rocking on that night, so I think this series is going to be phenomenal. Hopefully, uh, we're not making. As you know, we're not, making, we're not making predictions here because I think we. I think Kazuki and I, at least I've learned this time around, when the Mariners are in it, even when like the Giants were in it, because I, I, my like, my national League team is the Giants and the Pirates. The investment is like you are hanging on every pitch, at bat. So this is incredible to watch. I, like I said, I, I'm most intrigued by that series. I'll pay attention. I hoping to get all more out of that series. Hopefully there's a conflict with the with the Mariners in terms of timing.
0: Yeah, this will be interesting. I mean, I think Atlanta's game plan is way more flexible than the Philadelphia's. Philadelphia's, you know, their key is they need their starting pitching to be going deep or else they have to go to their uh, weak bullpen and they only have, you know, a couple arms they could rely on in this bullpen and even they're closer now uh Zach Eflin's pretty uh, shaky, right? Shaky for the past few games. So you need Wheeler, Nola, and Suarez to really carry the carry the series. Otherwise, I think this will be a tough, tough, tough uh, matchup for them. And then
1: we go to the final series. Whomever between the Dod, well, whoever of the Padres and the Mets will play the Dodgers. The 110 wins, Los Angeles Dodgers. If the Dodgers stay healthy, they are they should win this series. I don't care who you play. You could score fifty runs in a game for all I care. They have everything running when they're healthy. I mean, every team does. But this team, this team has like nine all stars, it feels like. Julio Arias. They have Tyler Anderson, who they acquired for like bargain basement money. And then you have Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, Clayton Kershaw. Just get ready and go. Their bullpen's got some questions. Can, can that bullpen hold together? But if they can get their starters to go, the, just go deep into the game and really make it happen and just score a bunch of runs, I think that puts them ahead. Whichever team comes in though, both of the teams that they've that there could be playing have bullpens that could get beaten around a lot. Other than really Edwin Diaz, so to speak, but these are bullpens that can get beat up. And for the Padres, the Padres in particular, I will say that you are counting your blessings if your starting pitchers can go deep and and you can finish this series in like three or four games. If you have to go to game five, you're hoping that you can hopefully when your starters is healthy enough because the Padres, you have so much talent. It's just win the game. The Mets, you have a little more, a little more, I would say, spin on what's going to happen. I think the Mets have better, the Padres have better bats. Mets have better pitch. And when you can throw it at Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer duo to start a series against, you know, Clayton Kershaw or Julio Arias, it's, Baseball its finest in terms of the best talent you can imagine. At the Same time, still score seven runs a piece. So I think that's kind of where it is. And I think that the X factor for the Padres that they get in, Blake Snell. We always know he's Kryptonite three train three times around. But either way, can anyone beat the Dodgers? I, I it's like that. That's that's just the way I look at it. Like the Dodgers are so potent from top to bottom. Like, I don't want to face the I'm more afraid of the Dodgers seven, eight, nine hitters than I think I am of any other team's seven, eight, nine hitters.
0: Uh, I'd argue the Braves are as potent as the Dodgers. They're really talented. Why do, the,
1: why do you think they've each other the playoffs so many times the last several years? Uh but yeah. So I think the collision course we're gonna see here is what's gonna happen in the National League. It's a little more defined because of this. And then in the American League, hold your breath. Both, both games. Yankees fans are holding their breath, like, don't blow it up, don't blow it up, don't blow it up. And the Mariners fans are like, can we actually do this? I think that, that's kind of where we are. And that's it. Like I said, we kept this one hopefully short and brief. I think I timed it about 40 to 50 minutes at most. Uh, so in closing just like a couple of years ago, just like last year, we plan on being back out for the next round of the playoffs with another review and a look ahead. So that will be the ALL review of the DSs for the CSs. But before we go, I want to say something about something that Kazuki and I often... If you notice over the last several years, Kazuki and I often reference a stat uh, in supporting the collective work of someone, and that's uh, MLB Sarah Langs. And if you know, if you watch uh, what happened in the Mets game, they put her name on the board because Sarah Langs has come out with a little statement about how she's feeling right now. And on behalf of us and the stats that we use and her, and her best tagline in Twitter, which will close this show, we wish the best to her health. We wish her best hope for her, the best happiness and health for her, because truly, and Sarah Langs, we agree with you. Baseball is the best. And our friends, we'll speak with you again very soon.
0: That's it for this episode of Senor Baseball. This episode of Senor Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Akiba, and Brandon Beiser. This episode was edited by Kazuki Akiba with additional research by Brandon Beiser. Our theme song is by K. Margus. Senor Baseball is a production of Daylight and Media Three Limited. We'll be back with another episode. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast as more people will know about this show. Go to daylightinteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows. I'm Kazuki Akiba. And I'm Brandon Beiser. And this has been Sound Hour Baseball.